Welcome to PQ Doc on Call, a podcast dedicated to current and aspiring intensivists. My name is Pradeep Kumar. And my name is Rahul Dimani, a current second year pediatric critical care fellow. We come to you from Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, Emory University School of Medicine. Today's episode is dedicated to how to read and critically review a paper, not only for the journal club presentations at fellows conference, but also for your clinical practice as a future pediatric intensivist. We are delighted to be joined by Jocelyn Grunwell, MD, PhD. She's a physician scientist and assistant professor of pediatrics, pediatric critical care at Emory University School of Medicine in Atlanta, Georgia. Jocelyn is a case scholar with research interests in mitochondrial dysfunction in critical illness, the airway immune response in pediatric acute respiratory distress syndrome, and neofatal asthma. She's on Twitter at Grunwell Jocelyn. Dr. Grunwell, welcome to Pick You Doc on Call. We are absolutely delighted to have you on our podcast today to discuss a topic on how to read and critically review a manuscript. Thanks, Pradeep and Rahul. I'm really happy to be here today. Um, and I would like to tell you that I have no conflicts or financial interests to disclose. So let's open up this episode by really talking about why should a pediatric intensivist, whether you're in training or a faculty, read journal articles? Well, that's a really good question, Raul. So there's several reasons you might want to read a journal article, and your reading should be tailored to, the, to your goals. So you need to keep that in mind. So for example, you may first want to learn about a clinical topic to understand how to diagnose, treat, or manage a disease that one of your patients has. Or you may want to find the best evidence for how to treat that patient. Third, you may want to learn about the basic biology or the pathophysiology and mechanisms of a disease to have a better and deeper understanding. And finally, you may want to identify gaps in a particular field of research so that you can develop your own research plan or write a proposal to explore a new research area. Dr. Grunwell, where do you find manuscripts relevant to pediatric intensivists? So first thing is that I'd like to suggest that learners and faculty in pediatric critical care try to make a habit of reading, and at the very least, skimming abstracts in various pediatric journals, even if you don't have the time to read an entire article. So I generally go to journals such as Pediatric Critical Care Medicine, Critical Care Medicine, Critical Care Explorations, and then general ge- pediatrics journals such as Pediatrics, the Journal of Pediatrics, and then more general medicine journals where critical care articles tend to appear. So New England Journal of Medicine, JAMA or JAMA Pediatrics, and the whole family of the American Thoracic Society journals, such as the Blue Journal, on a weekly basis. You can set up an account so that the table of contents of these journals will be emailed to you. There's also applications available on your iPhone, such as ReadQXMD, where you can be alerted to new content of interest to you and easily browse through these abstracts and articles. You can also sign up and follow accounts of several journals of interest to you on Twitter. There's also a useful and free website sponsored by Dr. Hari Krishnan called PickUJournalWatch.com, and that's where Dr. Krishnan has journal articles that are really well organized. This website is constantly updated to show the latest manuscripts that are relevant in our field of critical care medicine, and you can keep your articles organized by topic in softwares such as EndNote that are often um, freely available from your university's library website. 
Doing searches on PubMed, Ovid, etc. can also be really helpful so that you can find the latest information on a topic of interest to you. And finally, talking to a medical library scientist is one of the most useful um, ways to structure systematic reviews or meta-analyses for your articles or to just get a really broad overview of a, of a topic in a systematic way. And these, these people are often very useful so that if you can't, for example, access the article um, of your own accord at your institution. Dr. Grunwell, as we go into evidence-based medicine a little bit more, can you define the different levels of evidence and how you approach this when you're reading journal articles? Yeah, so the term level of evidence or the traditional hierarchy of evidence refers to the degree that the information can be trusted based on the type of study design. So the most common question is usually related to therapy or an intervention. And levels of therapy are typically represented as a pyramid with systematic reviews or meta-analyses positioned at the top of the pyramid, followed by well-designed randomized control trials, and then observational studies. Observational studies include cohort studies and case control studies. Case studies, laboratory-based studies with animals or in vivo models, in vitro models, excuse me, or otherwise known as preclinical studies, or consensus and expert opinions lie at the bottom of the pyramid hierarchy. So based on this pyramid structure of evidence, the message is clear. Not all evidence and information is equivalent. Dr. Grunwell, what is a critical appraisal of a manuscript and how does it help us? So critical appraisal is the systematic evaluation of clinical research papers, and it's used to judge the article's trustworthiness, its value and relevance to a particular context. Critical appraisal really helps you to systematically evaluate whether, one, the study addresses a clearly focused question, two, the study uses valid methods to address this question, three, valid results of the study are important, and four, these valid important results are applicable to the patients or the populations for which you care for. So the goal of learning critical appraisal helps you to do the following things. Identify the most relevant papers to you and your patients. Distinguish evidence from opinion, assumptions, misreporting, and beliefs. Assess the validity of a study. Assess the usefulness and clinical applicability of the study. And recognize the potentials for bias in a study. That was wonderful. And I kind of want to now transition into the actual appraisal process. Dr. Grunwell, can you take us through the appraisal process of a manuscript? Sure. So I generally ask myself three preliminary questions when I look at a paper. The first is, what was the research question and why was this particular study needed? So after a brief background about the topic under study, the paper's introduction should clearly state the research question or objective and the hypothesis. The second question is, what was the research design? So for example, is this a primary or a secondary study? So what do I mean by that? If the study is a primary one, then was it a laboratory experiment? Was it a clinical trial, a survey? Was it an observational cohort or a case series study? If it's a secondary study, then was it a review or a clinical guideline, some kind of decision analysis or economic analysis? And then the third question I usually ask myself to get kind of the lay of the land is, was the research design appropriate to the question? So it can be really helpful to categorize the study into a therapeutic, diagnostic, prognostic, randomized control trial, a qualitative study, or an epidemiologic descriptive study, or a meta-analysis. And these are just a few examples of some of the different types of studies you might be reading. 
So there are evidence-based medicine worksheets that can help you structure a formal review and make sure that you consider all aspects of the study. So these worksheets can be found in many different languages. And one of the main websites that um, I'll go to is the Center for Evidence-Based Medicine at the University of Oxford in the United Kingdom under Critical Appraisal Tools. And the web address will be shown in the show notes. The Evidence-Based Medical Toolbox from Toronto in Canada also has very good, similar style critical appraisal worksheets and resources so that you can actually learn evidence-based medicine and apply these types of um, structures to your reviews. And the link for this will also be available in the show notes. Thank you so much, Dr. Grunwell, for sharing these valuable resources. Okay, to summarize. What we first need to do is understand the question and the study design, and then transition on ascertaining whether or not the appropriate study design was used to answer a central question. Dr. Grunwell, what is a general framework of how we should approach a manuscript? So in order to explain the structure of a scientific paper, I like to use the analogy of a story. So think about your favorite fairy tale. So there's a beginning, and that's where the scene is set and the characters are introduced. There's a middle where the action happens, and then there is an ending. And this is where you learn a lesson or you get a moral of the story. So by analogy, every scientific paper has an introduction where you set the background and the importance of the question, and you introduce the subject matter. These are your characters. So the who, the why, the what of the study is all discussed in this introductory paragraphs. The middle of the article is where the action happens. So you explain how you did the study or the experiments in the methods section, and then you explain what happened or what you found in the results section. Finally, the article has an ending where you discuss the results within a larger context of studies by comparing and contrasting. You note similarities, you explain discrepancies to other people's work, and you acknowledge the limitations of your study. Finally, you're going to make a conclusion based on your results. So can you recommend this therapy or diagnostic study for your patients? So do you find this useful, basically? I really like the story analogy as this really frames our next segment of how to systematically read a scientific paper. Let's go ahead and set the scene. Dr. Grunwell, what is the first step in the critical appraisal of the scientific paper? So a good first step would be just to skim through the article, and I usually like to start with the abstract. This is just to get a basic understanding of the aims or objectives, the key data and conclusions of the study. And the early considerations that you're thinking about as you skim through this type of paper is, what's the main question? Is this relevant and interesting to me? What was the original topic? Does it address a a gap? Is it clear and easy to read? What are, are the conclusions consistent with the evidence presented? Do the experiments and data address the main question that was brought up in the introduction? And is there a disagreement with current consensus? And is this disagreement justified by the data that they've gathered? And finally, do the tables and figures tell a story or add to the paper? Because the tables and figures should really stand alone. All right. These rhetorical questions, which we just went through, give us a bird's eye view to get yourself oriented to the journal article. Dr. Grunwell, in general, how does the introduction help you as you critically appraise a manuscript? So when you look at the introduction, you can start to formulate the problem. So you can define who the question is about. So how would I describe a group of patients similar to this one? 
you will define a maneuver that you're considering or an intervention in the patient or the population. And if necessary, what's the comparative maneuver? So is this a drug treatment study? Is it a standard compare therapy comparison or versus a placebo? And then we want to define the outcome. So what were they looking at as the outcome? Was it to reduce mortality, length of stay? Was it to have a better quality of life or was it cost savings? Those kinds of things are what we're considering. Dr. Grunwell, as you read uh, beyond your initial broad overview, how do you identify areas for improvement or, or look for major flaws in the study design? So I'd encourage everyone to look first closely at the tables, figures, and images. So what, what story are these primary data telling you? And can you recreate the story from the data presented without reading a single word of the text? You should be able to follow the experimental argument and draw conclusions based solely on the evidence presented in these tables and figures. But there's a couple things to watch for. So are the authors drawing a conclusion that's contradicted by their own statistical or qualitative evidence? Are they using a discredited or flawed method? So how are they sampling a population? Do they have the appropriate controls? How precise are their measurements? And was the analysis conducted in a systematic manner? And then you want to know whether you think they're asking a valid question. So are the authors ignoring some process that's known to have a strong influence on the area of study? Asking questions which correlate to the author's point of view is essential. Correct, Rahul. Using this process is really important. It's important to summarize the research question by stating the main question addressed and summarizing the goals or objectives of the paper. And this really helps you to conceptualize the research, and it allows you to focus on the successful aspects of the paper. Transitioning to the methods section of a paper, how do we assess the quality of the methods used in a study? So I guess here the real question is whether the study is original and what does the new research add to the scientific literature? So for example, is this a continuation of a large study or a field of research? Does it apply previous methodologic shortcomings? And will numerical results add significantly to a meta-analysis? Is there something different about the study population from prior works? And is the clinical issue important enough, or does there exist sufficient doubt with key decision makers or stakeholders to make new evidence politically desirable? Dr. Grunwell, as we assess the methods section, how do we narrow in on the population of interest and specifically relate the methods used in the paper to our patient cohort whom we serve clinically? So this is a great question, Pradeep. And I would think about whether the patients are subjects more like the patients with whom we see. So are they more ill or less ill than the patients that we care for in our ICU? Are the patients a different ethnicity? Do they live a different lifestyle from our own patients, for example? And did the subjects receive more or different attention during the study than we can actually give our patients um, in real clinical practice? So unlike most of the patients we care for, we also want to know whether the subjects um, have nothing wrong with them apart from the condition being studied, because we know that we often care for complex medical conditions and patients often have more than one thing wrong with them. And finally, did the subjects have potentially confounding exposures that are similar to our patients or is there something different about the exposures? To summarize a central theme of our episode thus far, it is to really read a paper with a perspective on how this journal article will be applied to your setting. 
In our case, it is critically ill children. Let us now transition and talk about the layers of bias which may present in the results or even in the discussion portion of the manuscript. Dr. Grunwell, can you highlight the sources of bias in a study? Yes. So bias occurs when there's a systematic difference between the results from a study and the true state of affairs. So bias is often introduced when a study is being designed, but it can be introduced at any stage. So appropriate statistical methods can reduce the effect of bias, but may not eliminate it. And increasing the sample size does not reduce bias. We need to look at the treatment group and the control group very closely to make sure both are treated equally. So selection bias can result from incomplete randomization. So patients included in the study are not representative of the population which we intended to analyze. Performance bias can result from systematic differences in care received by the inter intervention and control groups because either the participant or the researcher know what group they were assigned. So there are differences in care received other than the intervention being compared. Exclusion bias refers to systematic differences in withdrawal or participants from a study arm. So for example, there may be more withdrawals of patients from the intervention compared to the placebo arm of a trial because of side effects. On the other hand, there may be more withdrawals from the placebo arm of the trial compared to the intervention arm due to a lack of improvement in clinical condition. Detection bias is the systematic differences in outcome assessment between groups. Blinding or masking of outcome assessors may reduce the risk that knowledge of which intervention was received rather than the intervention itself affects outcome measurement. All right, listeners, let's summarize the various types of bias. Selection bias is due to incomplete randomization. Performance bias involves a lack of blinding. Exclusion bias refers to the element of attrition in a study. And detection bias refers to the impact the intervention has with respects to the control. Dr. Grunwell, let's move into the arena of statistics. So what are the preliminary statistical questions which need to be addressed in a manuscript? So there's three statistical questions that should be addressed. First, there should be a sample size calculation to determine the power to detect a true difference between groups. To calculate a sample size, you need to have a defined amount of difference between the two groups that's a, deemed a clinically significant effect. You will need to know the mean or some kind of measure of center and the standard deviation or the variance of the principal outcome variable. Then the study has to be continued for a long enough time for the effect to be reflected in the primary outcome. Finally, the completeness or follow of follow-up should be high. So for example, if a study has less than 70% follow-up, that's probably suboptimal. You, you can make an assessment of completeness by looking at the rate of withdrawal from the study. So some reasons for low completeness include suspected adverse reactions, a loss of motivation, a loss of follow-up. So for example, a family might move from a study area or death. Dr. Grunwell, let's conclude our podcast by going into how you evaluate the results and discussions section of a manuscript. Can you shed some light on that, please? Sure, Pradeep. So the results should tell us what was discovered or confirmed. I make sure to see if it, tell if it tells a coherent story. So the authors really should be describing in simple terms what the data show and refer to statistical analyses such as the significance and the goodness of fit. And you should also be able to read the paper for evaluation of the observed trends. 
So the discussion of the manuscript should really put the results in a larger context and explain the significance of the results within a wider understanding. Outcomes should be a critical part of this analysis as it's the reason why you did the study in the first place. How do you take the conclusion of a study into your critical appraisal process? So the conclusion should basically reflect upon whether or not the aims are achieved, and the conclusion should not have any surprises in it, and it should be evidence-based. It's typically very short, only a few sentences, and it relates directly to the question and the outcome. Dr. Grunwell, this was a wonderful summary and discussion today. What are resources our listeners can utilize to improve their understanding about the research methodology? So there's a couple of books and websites that are really excellent for this. So the first that I'd like to recommend is How to Read a Paper by Tricia Greenhall. And she's from the UK um, out of Oxford at the website we um, talked about earlier. There's also The User's Guide to Medical Literature by Gordon Guyot. And then I would also like to recommend Writing Science by Joshua Schimmel. So then I always give fellows who are working with me a paper from one of my undergraduate research mentors, Professor George M. Whitesides at Harvard University in the Department of Chemistry. And he has a really short and concise paper entitled The Whitesides Group, Writing a Paper. And while it's geared towards chemists, it actually has really good advice for conducting research studies in general. And you can find that in the Journal of Advanced Materials. I recommend that pediatric critical care medicine fellows keep reading papers in our primary journals. So pediatric critical care medicine, critical care medicine, and the ATS journals. And at the very least, peruse just the abstracts, especially when you're busy on service. Structured and interactive journal clubs can really help you practice crucial critical appraisal skills. I also think a community approach is definitely essential in staying current on new research and we really need to make the appraisal process a habit. Dr. Grunwell, we really appreciate your insights on today's podcast. As we wrap up, would you mind highlighting your personal pearls with respects to critical appraisal of a manuscript? Sure, Raul. So I have four pearls to talk about. So the first is to develop a new habit, just skimming articles, abstracts. It's best to start small. So when you're trying to build any new habit, my, my advice to you is to start small. So what does this mean? For example, choose one to two journals that you want to look at and get the tables of contents emailed to you. The second is be curious. Start a journal club and try using these critical appraisal templates or worksheets when you're assessing an article and make the journal club a fun and social experience. Third, learn new skills and learning new skills takes practice. So any investment that you make in learning critical appraisal skills will help you become a better writer, researcher, and clinician. And finally, focus on the tables and figures. Like I said earlier, the tables and figures of an article should stand alone and tell the story. Invest time in trying to understand what the evidence supports in the article by interpreting the information in the tables and figures by yourself before reading the text of the paper in its entirety. By doing this, you will be able to really spot, spot flaws in the article and critically appraise it in a more systematic fa fashion. All right. So today in this episode, we went through a systematic process on how to collect, organize, synthesize, and apply journal articles from manuscript to bedside. Having close collaboration with your medical librarian is also essential, coupled with 
a curiosity to learn. This will optimize your evidence-based knowledge and allow you to stay up to date on the literature. This concludes our episode today on how to read a paper. We thank Dr. Jocelyn Granwell for her expertise on this topic. We hope you found value in this short podcast. We welcome you to share your feedback and place a review on our podcast. PQ Doc on Call is hosted by me, Pradeep Kumar, and my co-host, Dr. Rahul Dimenia. Stay tuned for our next episode. Thank you.